Gene Cash. This is a Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. We'll have a sit for about 30 minutes and then a talk and then a discussion. Please um, establish your sitting posture. I'll give a few minutes of instruction and then there'll be a longer period to practice in silence. Very helpful if you sit upright so that your back is relatively straight. <clears throat> Hopefully there's an uprightness from the base of the spine all the way through the back of the neck. come inside so you can allow your mindfulness to become an embodied awareness Letting yourself feel or sense or be aware of your body sitting here. And letting everything else be in the background. It's helpful if you aren't talking on the phone now, which you probably wouldn't do if we were in person. <laughs> and uh, be great if you let go of everything else just like we are in person actually your person is alive here right now so be aware of the aliveness that is sitting here in an embodied way As you let your, let the awareness saturate your body, permeate your body in a very relaxed way. You don't have to work hard to feel or sense or be aware of your body. Just let it happen, being aware of whatever is here you could sense the whole body or a part of the body you're comfortable with. Or for many people who've done a lot of mindfulness of breathing, you can simply be aware of the body breathing. As we establish an embodied awareness sitting here in your seat
And as you feel, sense, be aware of your body sitting here, it can be particularly useful to be aware of the breath as a way to come out of your mind. Be aware of the aliveness of this breath. Being aware of the beginning of the in-breath till the end of the in-breath. Then the beginning of the out-breath till the end of the out-breath. So that we let everything else be in the background for a little while. Letting the breath, the body breathing be in the foreground. The practice of mindfulness is about being intimate with this moment of life that's living itself right now. A life that's characterized by our in-breath. See how close, how sensitive, how intimate you can be with one breath at a time. See what kind of effort supports your being present here in this moment with this body, with this breath, with the aliveness that's sitting here. And how kind can we be to ourselves in doing this practice right now?
and you have an option at this point. It's fine to stay with the body and the breathing. You could do that for the whole meditation time. And it's really a very kind way to practice letting go of everything else and just be with the aliveness that's breathing here right now. And if you feel calm, collected, composed, centered, which can happen with the breath meditation. And you can always simply open the space of awareness and be aware of whatever is predominant, whatever is in the foreground of awareness, whether it's the body or the breathing or other sensations in the body, pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, or you might be mostly aware of thoughts and thinking, not to be enchanted by the thought, not to be mesmerized by the thought, but be aware of the thinking, aware that the thinking happens on its own. And the same with feelings or emotions or moods, any kind of feeling may arise, any kind of emotion may appear. And we're not doing the emotions, they just arise spontaneously and we can be aware of them, not simply identified with them. They're doing themselves, the thoughts, the feelings, Some of you may be aware of sounds, like I'm hearing a plane now, so I'm aware of the sound, and I'm aware of hearing itself, the function of hearing. Letting whatever is in the foreground, whether it be thoughts or sounds or feelings or sensations or breath or states of consciousness, peace, openness, relaxation, ease, whatever may be here, either staying very close to the body breathing or staying with the awareness and being aware of whatever the awareness is aware of. moment by moment by moment, being aware of this life as it's living itself.
tonight I would like to talk about uh, compassion for self and others, both self and others. And compassion is one of the beautiful qualities of heart and mind that uh, arises with practice, with meditation, and with the Dharma. Um, it's one of the, it's the way we, the heart that's free responds to suffering and to hurt and heartache and difficulty and uh, the dukkha or the dissatisfactoriness of human life, which is part of human life. And the word in Buddhism that uh, is translated as compassion is karuna. And karuna is often described as a quivering of the heart in the light of suffering, a quivering of the heart. It's we're, we're touched, we, we resonate, we have a resonance with suffering that is kind. And of course, compassion doesn't mean that we're overwhelmed or we're codependent or we're, it's not about pitting people or pitting ourselves. Um, but it's about seeing dukkha and responding in a heartfelt way, in a kind way, in a caring way. This is from uh, Venerable uh, Nanapanakatera. He said, the world suffers, but most people have their eyes and ears closed. They do not see the unbroken stream of tears flowing through life. They do not hear the cry of distress continually pervading the world. Bound by selfishness, their hearts turn stiff and narrow. But it is compassion that removes the heavy bar, opens the door to freedom, and makes the narrow heart as wide as the world. And yeah, I love that quote. I love that he talks about the heart becoming stiff and narrow because it's what brought me to Buddhism was seeing the hardening of my own heart. And there was a prayer that I did uh, one time in Judaism actually, where you atone for the hardening of the heart. And I realized my heart had hardened and I wanted to be free of that hardening. And the transmission I got was to meditate. And what happens when the heart starts to open is it responds to suffering in an appropriate way with sympathy or empathy or with some understanding or concern or a kind of warm heartedness or mercy or kindness. The other word that's often used is benevolence, a benevolence to ourselves and a benevolence to others or kindness to ourselves. Because everybody here suffers. I, I don't have any doubt of that. I have doubts about other things I may say, but everybody suffers. It's part of the human experience. <clears throat> and of course, there's all different kinds of suffering. There's physical suffering. There's emotional suffering, mental suffering. There's relational suffering. There's societal suffering. And as we've seen in this country, particularly, there's political suffering. And they're all different flavors of suffering. 
And when there's compassion, what arises in us is a kind of warmth or caring or a, a, a wisdom that's not judgmental about the suffering. It understands that suffering is part of the deal. If you're a human being, you're going to suffer. You're going to have difficulty. And other people are also having difficulty, having dis-ease, having distress, having heartache. It's part of the human experience. And so as one of your reflections tonight, you can reflect a little about how do you relate to your pain, to your suffering, to your difficulty? How do you relate to the pain, suffering, difficulty of others? Really? And to really think about when have you been compassionate to suffer others? And what's brought that forward? <clears throat> this is from Trungpa Rinpoche, Tibetan teacher. He said, the kindness and generosity that we extend to ourselves is the foundation for our ability to relate to the whole world. The kindness and generosity we extend to ourselves is the foundation of our ability to relate to the whole world. And as I got up today and was practicing, I tend to get up early and start the day with a sitting. I was sitting and I was thinking about how kind it was to sit. It felt like one of the kindest things to do to, for me was just to sit and just be here. Even though I wasn't happy about what was happening, that didn't matter. It was just good to sit and to watch my mind, which was, I was very like, this is like five in the morning, I get up, I go to the bathroom, I go sit, and uh, and I'm sitting, and, uh, and my mind, like somehow my mind, heart was so bright, and a lot of thoughts, a lot of energy, and so I was aware of that, that was good, and then I thought, oh, let me just be with the breath. And it was like, oh, the breath, the body here, relaxing here, and I knew, you know, my mind will do its thinking when it wants to think. I don't have to stop it. But it was so much more relaxing to be here just with my body and the breathing for a little while. And then to be aware of the whole bigger picture, right? And then, and so I was tracking a little compassion today or kindness today, the same word really. And I was watching what it was like to be kind to myself today and the meditation was just such a for me great way to start the day to orient towards oh being right here this is it just for a little while without having to really deal with anything else you know life busyness whatever we're doing these days um and and then so you know then i my day was something like okay then i get up and i breakfast and just the food is totally great it's great i have food i mean you know and i hope you all all have food and i assume that most of you all have food but some people in the world don't have food so even to feel the kindness or goodness of having the food and not even worrying about it just getting up and making a breakfast and you know oatmeal if you're interested is my breakfast <laughs> but it, and it's good oatmeal's and fruit, you know, and what else, some yogurt and nuts, really great breakfast. 
and uh, and then I went out and walked. And I do I don't do a formal walking meditation, but I do do a walking practice when I walk. And I live right near the park, so I go into the walk into the park and walk. And it just seems so kind. What a what a gift from the world that I can just walk into the park. And it was magically beautiful this morning. It was so clear and the trees were just vivid. And really the colors, shapes, forms were all very vivid, vivid, which is something that happens with more samadhi in practice, with more being right here, with the aliveness that's right here and the gift, the goodness of being alive. And I was also reflecting on the difficulties that have been around for me in my world. Um, uh, I had to, um, uh, I had phone calls yesterday with some people who asked for some help. It was actually a parent and a child who wanted help because they were having a hard time relating to each other. And so I spent a bunch of time on the phone yesterday and just, um, and it was so easy to be compassionate to both of them, even though they didn't agree with each other at all. And they were both a little um, stubborn about their uh, attachment to their view, which they were attached to their views about. It was, it was a child and a parent. You know, if, if you've had parents, you know they can be difficult. And if you're a parent who's had a child, you know they can be difficult. So they were both right about the difficulty of the parent or the child. But it was so, it really, all I, the, it was so easy for me to be compassionate for their suffering, right? For their difficulty, partly because I've been a child and, I'm, and I am a parent. And, you know, and it's just part of what's difficult. And so I was very... Uh, and of course, all I was trying to get them to do was relax a little bit about their reaction to one another, right? Because whatever the parent had done or whatever the child had done, it wasn't that bad. This, this was low-key dukkha. This was not high-class dukkha. This was, maybe it was high-class dukkha. It's a better way to say there was not any serious dukkha. And, uh, and so it was easy to be compassionate. And today it was harder for me, not with them, but with one of my brothers. And I knew this was happening and probably gonna happen, but his partner died. The, um, he'd been with her for 16 years and she got COVID and she was in the hospital and she was not in good shape. And everything I heard, told me she was not going to live and she didn't and she died last night about you know one o'clock in the morning and uh so i talked to him this morning and and um and it was sad really sad and and difficult but and of course totally brought my compassion forward <clears throat> excuse me for both him and for her right both of them and, and I still feel it for both of them. And the import of the aliveness and that kind of heartfulness that is different for each of them right now because she's gone. And I, it's 
It's not that I don't care about her and love her and wish her well, which I do, but she's in a different phase of reality than he is. And he's here and he's in a grief state. She's not, she could be grieving a little about her death right now, I don't know. But I, I don't think that's usually what happens for people after they die. Uh, my experience has been a little more, um, uh, there's some often some freedom that comes when the, the, the spirit dies and is out of the body. And so there's something, it depends. I, I don't know what's happening for her exactly, but it's very easy to send my love and kindness and compassion to her. And it's more tender actually with my brother who's suffering in a way I can feel it more, the suffering. I don't know that she's suffering. She's, she's not here in the way she was, that's true. But I, I don't know, I don't yet get her state of being right now. And, uh, but my brother, I get more, and so I feel my love and care and sadness and helplessness. Like I really, of course, my first question is, what can I do for you? And it's not like he, you know, it's, there's nothing to do. And of course, nobody can come over and just be with him, right? And, and grieve with him because of COVID-19. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> so different flavors of compassion for both of them. Mm. And so little I'm talking about the compassion that arises here, com you know, the kindness for myself, but also the compassion for others. And, and just the goodness of the compassion, like it's, the, it's what's needed for us as human beings. When there's death, when there's difficulty, when there's heartache, when there's pain, Jack Kerouac, I was thinking about the Beats because as many of you might know, Lawrence Ferlinghetti died. Anybody not know that? Anybody, 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 anybody not know who Lawrence Ferlinghetti is? A few of you may not raise your hand if you, you don't know. Okay, Lawrence Ferlinghetti was one of the Beat poets. He opened City Lights Bookstore, which is in North Beach, which is a very, very famous bookstore and a supporter of poets and he published Howl which is one of the great American poems of all times Howl by Ellen Ginsberg and he published it and then he got arrested for publishing it because the government said it was lewd and something else lewd and and you know not right not it shouldn't be published and so he and Shig, who I forget Shig's last name, Japanese-American man who, who worked there for years, I knew Shig, and, um, and, uh, and both of them got arrested for publishing Howl. And so he fought that and won in the courts. And, um, and he, just, he was just a total radical, wild guy, and also very down-to-earth. He ran a business, ran a bookstore, did his thing, and kept, kept um, fighting for freedom and, and artistic freedom and poetic freedom for, freedom for people. And really a great, um, um, a, really a great, his, I believe his first 
poetry book was called Coney Island of the Mind, the Coney Island of the Mind. And uh, yeah, and you can go, New York Times has a really nice article about it from a couple of days ago where they show it, like just a 10 minute video of Lawrence Ferlinghetti and his life and the beatniks he was close with with Allen Ginsberg and, and Gregory Corso, who I also knew and performed with once when I was a musician. And I'm trying to remember who else, Gregory Corso and Neil Cassidy, who, yeah, who, was, uh, um, who was the hero of On the Road that Jack Kerouac wrote, the book that Jack Kerouac wrote called On the Road. And um, yeah, anyhow, so... Um, so I was thinking of Jack Kerouac, who said this. He said, who knows, my God, but that the universe is not one vast sea of compassion, actually. Who knows, but actually the universe is not one vast sea of compassion, actually. The veritable holy honey beneath all this show of personality and cruelty that there's this kindness of heart that's inherent in us as human beings is how I hear what he's pointing at. And you see it in people, especially in COVID-19, the kindness of so many people taking care of other people, all the healthcare workers risking their lives and all the people making deliveries and supplying food and risking their lives by doing all of that, the goodness of heart that's there. And so I was looking up some stuff about kindness and compassion, and there were some reflections. One was about a man named Ivan Fernandez. Anybody know who that is? He was a runner, and he was in a big, famous race, and he was second. He was running behind a Kenyan runner, Abdul uh, Mutai. Uh, who was very far ahead of him, was, I don't know about very far, who was far ahead of him. And um, they were running, but near the end, um, Abdul Mutai, he was confused. He thought he'd gone past the finish line, but he hadn't. So he slowed up and he stopped. And Ivan Fernandez caught up with him, but he didn't pass him, which he could have, and won the race. He just, he, he explained to him and he, they didn't speak the same language. So he made signs saying, no, the end is further. So the Ethiopian man could win the race because later Ivan Fernandez said that he would have won. And so it just made sense not to, not to beat him because he didn't understand he hadn't finished. That wasn't right. And so he was so kind to him that he he um, he showed him how to win and then he showed us what it means to be kind even when we lose and how how beautiful that kind of heart is and that kind of heart can arise in so many different ways there's a very famous zen koan listen carefully i love this koan one day chow chu fell down in the snow and called out help me up help me up a monk came down and lay down next to him. Chow Cho got up and went away. <laughs> it's, it's a certain sense of humor for that. For that. <laughs> Chow Cho fell down in the snow and called out, help me up, help me up. A monk came, lay down beside him. 
Chow Chow got up and went away. <laughs> Just the beauty of being mirrored in that way, right, was a gift, was a compassionate gift. And so it really, it's, uh, it's something we all know when we, just by being with somebody who's suffering in a way and reflecting the fact that they're suffering can be so kind. <clears throat> Here's another story that I found about Pope John Paul II, right? And forgiveness, right? And many, some of you may remember this, some not. Some of you aren't old enough to remember this. In 1981, he was shot four times by uh, Mehmet Ali Akka in the St. Peter's Square in Vatican City. He was walking across the square and he was shot. He suffered severe blood loss, but he survived. And Akka is a man who'd escaped from a Turkish prison uh, where he'd been held on charges of murder. And, you know, he tried to murder the Pope. And the Pope immediately, openly, in his own words, sincerely forgave the man. And this is like 1981. In 1983, um, the Pope went to visit his would-be assassin and having a private conversation with him, befriended him and stayed in touch with him and his family. And in 2000, the Pope requested that he be, that, um, that Akka be pardoned, right? And he was, and he was released from the Italian prison, but he still had to serve the remainder of his Turkish sentence. And after the Pope's visit, Akka converted to Christianity. He was released in 2010 and returned to Rome in 2014 to lay two dozen white roses at the tomb of, uh, of Pope John Paul II's tomb, right? Because what he had been so touched by the kindness and compassion of the man he had tried to kill that it changed his heart totally. And, and he became a different person with that kind of very radical kindness and compassion. Or the kindness of the, the people at, uh, you, some of you may remember in 2011, the Fukushima um, nuclear reactor in Japan, that became a big problem, right? That was, uh, could have been a nuclear crisis because the, the, the power plant was ruined. And a group of um, people over 60 called Skilled Veterans Corps believe that they should be the ones to face the danger of radiation, not young people who could have years, to, years cut short by the invisible deadly fallout. And one woman said, I'm 72 and on average, I probably have 13 or 15 more years to live. Uh, right, she said, if I were exposed to radiation, cancer could take. If if they were exposed to res, um, radiation, the young people, it could take twenty or thirty years to longer to develop. For someone like me who's older, I have less chance of getting the cancer because it takes a long time to develop. And she's thinking she's not going to live that long, so she volunteers and I offers her kindness and care and compassion in that kind of proactive way. And of course, there's a beautiful intention that we may all have that comes with compassion. 
This is from one of my teachers, Ryokan, Japanese monk. In the, uh, I believe he lived in the 18th century. He said, oh, that my priest's robe were wide enough to gather up all the suffering people in this floating world. Oh, that my priest's robe were wide enough to gather up all the suffering people in this floating world. And it's really the, the, the fullness of heart that he's describing, that he's feeling, and that we can all experience, all of us, don't doubt that you can experience that kind of openness of heart because your heart is actually limitless even if it may feel limited. It's a limitless heart that is part of you, part of all of us. You know, opening to our pain and opening to all of human pain, right? As the Dalai Lama said, he said, if you want, to, you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. It's really the opening of the heart that happens. And even the secret Buddhist American, Henry David Longfellow, he said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. We could read the secret history of our enemies. We would find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And then the kindness is what comes, right? It's one of the, it's a companion to loving kindness, Bhikkhu Bodhi says, right? Loving kindness has the characteristic of wishing for the happiness and welfare of others. Compassion has the characteristic of wishing that others be free from suffering, a wish to be extended without limits to all living beings. Like metta, like loving kindness, compassion, karuna, arises by considering all beings like ourselves wish to be free of suffering. And it's just seeing what's here and what's everywhere, what's in all of us. Hmm. And it's always great, I think, really helpful to awaken one's own compassion by reflecting on those who've been kind or compassion with us, with each of us. And so you can take a minute to think about who's been like that. When did that happen for you, even once in your life? <clears throat> and I did this today, and I've done this before, and I had some great memories. And one of my first memories is a guy in the bank in, uh, in Detroit, where I grew up, when I was a boy, and I went to open my first bank account, and I, I don't know how old, 10, 10 years old, something, 11, 12, I mean, I had a few dollars and I was opening a bank account and, the, and I didn't know what I was doing and I had to fill out some forms. And the man was so kind to me and so caring to help show me how to do it and help me through it and make it happen. And then, and then I wanted some change and 
I wanted a certain kind of change, and he just made sure it was perfect and counted it out. And it was so kind, really, and it's so, it so touched me and supported me as a young boy. Like, oh, it was like entering the real world. That's what it felt like, even to be in the goddamn bank. And this is when banks were really banks, like they had fancy buildings because they were a bank. And now, I don't know, does anybody go to a bank anymore? Does that even, you just do everything on credit card or something or on PayPal or on something, you know? It's a different world. You know, and then I had a bunch of other uh, memories of, uh, I had a great uncle who was really just so kind to me and so uh, compassionate. It was, yeah, anyhow. Uh, the one other, I've got a bunch more to say, but I'm only going to say some of it. Um, one other piece, I'll start with a quote from uh, Joko Beck. She's, uh, she was a Zen teacher, Joko Beck. She said, to enjoy the world without judgment is what a realized life is like. To enjoy the world without judgment is what a realized life is like. And one of the things that's hardest for us, the hardest for us that blocks our compassion is our self-judgment. And we each have different forms of self-judgment or self-criticism. And it's one of the great obstacles to freedom and to waking up is the judging mind or the comparing mind. And, uh, and it's in judgment, it's always important to remember judgment is discernment is different than judgment. We need to discern what's helpful or unhelpful, or what's skillful or not skillful. But we don't need to judge what's helpful or unhelpful, or judge what's skillful or unskillful. That's different. And the uh, and same with the comparing. We don't need, we can see, oh, this is A and this is B and this is C. But the comparing where we're less than or better than is not helpful. This is from Ajahn Chah. He said sometimes, and he's talking to the other monastics, sometimes you may see other monastics behaving badly. You may get annoyed. This is suffering unnecessarily. It is not yet our dharma. You may think like this. They are not as strict in their practice as I am. They are, they are not serious meditators like I am or we are. Those practitioners are not good practitioners. Those monks or nuns are not good monks or nuns. It is a common mistake for meditators to make, but watching other people won't develop wisdom. If you get annoyed, watch. Be present with the annoyance in your own heart and mind. That's what you want to be aware of. The annoyance is sitting here. It's not sitting in the other person. And this is another piece that I like to bring in about the superego, about the judging mind, psychological understanding from my teacher, Hamid Ali, um, um, that the role of the superego of the, of, in, the, in the psychological model of superego is what keeps the ego in place. 
and it judges it. And, and, and so he said, the superego is the inner coercive agency that stands against the expansion of awareness and inner development, regardless of how mild or reasonable it becomes. Right, so the superego is the inner coercive agency that stands against expansion of awareness and development. Right, and he goes on to say, he says, it's a substitute and a cruel one for direct perception and knowledge. Inner development requires in time there be no internal coercive agencies. There will be instead inner, regulated, in, inner regulation based on objective perception, understanding, and love. And it's really seeing the truth in an objective way. Seeing what's here without adding on our judgment, our superego, the judging mind, the harshness, the meanness to ourselves or to others. In the Shin Shin Ming, which is the uh, Shin Shin Ming is translated as verses of the faith mind. Uh, and uh, there's a great line in there. They say, realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And that's so good for us us that's so good we're all trying to be perfect and you all here i can assure you you're already perfect you're perfectly imperfect and it's really it's really when we can really relax by and just be ourselves even if we're quote imperfect couple last things from rumi rumi says that which haunts us will always find a way out the wound will not heal unless given witness. The shadow that follows us is the doorway in. And that's why we're not judgmental of ourselves. Whatever our limitations, whatever our misunderstandings are, the kindness and openness and warm-heartedness with it is what begins to free us. Mm. And the last thing I want to say is to talk about the power of, of compassion, the power of seeing suffering, the powering of opening to dukkha, to what's true, of what's part of the human experience. This is from my friend Sharon Salzberg. She said, compassion is not at all weak. It is the strength that arises out of seeing the true nature of suffering in the world. Compassion allows us to bear witness to that suffering, whether it is in ourselves or others, without fear. It allows us to name injustice without hesitation and to act strongly with all the skill at our disposal. To develop this mind state, heart state of compassion is to learn to live, as the Buddha put it, with sympathy for all living beings without exception. Beautiful, beautiful understanding and teaching from Sharon. Hmm. Hmm. 
And here's another version of what she's pointing at from Nelson Mandela, the great South African leader, Bodhisattva. And somebody was writing about Nelson Mandela. He said he went, Nelson Mandela once remarked that he befriended his jailers, those grim khaki clad overseers of his decades of hard labor in a limestone quarry by exploiting their good qualities. That's radical. That's a fierce compassion, right? By exploiting their fear, their good qualities. Asked if he believed all people were kind at their core, he responded, "There is no doubt whatsoever, provided you are able to rouse their inherent goodness." And the person writing said, "If that sounds like wishful thinking, well, he actually did it, right?" And there's a lot of stories about him having this huge impact on his guards and the people who imprisoned him, and then ultimately on the whole country of South Africa. Mm. Mm. And then this, the last word, again from Pema Chodron, she said, compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness well, only when we know our own darkness well, can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. And then a last beautiful haiku from Isa. Maybe it's not a haiku, haiku, it might be. It's a poem from Isa, who said, in the cherry blossom shade, and I don't know if you notice this, in San Francisco, we have cherry blossoms in front of our house here, so, and the cherry blossoms have been blossoming, it's been really beautiful. In the cherry blossom shade, there's no such thing as a stranger. In the cherry blossom shade, there's no such thing as a stranger. So those are some thoughts about compassion for self and others. Uh, as you know, I always love to hear your thoughts, questions, comments, reactions, agreements, disagreements. Uh, please raise your hand. Uh, you have to go to the, where do you have to go? To the reactions or sometimes to participants. Let me just see. Yeah, the, and mine, it's on the reaction. So you might try that. Please raise your hand and I'd like to hear what you think or what's up or any reflections about compassion or what I've said. Or, and of course, it really brings the Dharma alive, I think, when you all speak up. I've heard enough of Eugene over the years, so. I'd love to hear from you. Even if you're shy, be shy and speak. It's okay to be shy. I like shyness. One of my friends, I've said this a million times, one of my friends said, shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. Shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. And of course, I, I'm happy I could just start calling on people at random if that's a, we could do it differently.
okay? It gets more exciting if I call on you, right? Because you might not be expecting it. Okay, Mark. Hello, Eugene. Hi, Mark. Uh, let me switch. I'm going to switch from to speaker view so I can see you. Hi. Mark. Hi. And, and Hi. it's good, so good to be here this evening. And I'm moved and warmed in my heart uh, by the variety and various quotes you've shared this evening. And particularly the last one that there's no stranger, my words, I don't know what the exact, yeah. uh, no strangers amongst the shadow of the cherry blossoms. Yeah, That's yeah. just sweet, sweet. Yeah, totally. And mm. true. Mm. It's true. That's what's beautiful. We always think somebody's really a stranger, but we haven't realized our cherry blossom heart. And when we realize it, then they're no straight. It's all us. Mm. Right? It's yes. Even if we don't like us sometimes, that's the <laughs> other thing that's really important to get. Compassion doesn't mean we like everything. No, we see the suffering that things come out of. So we can still love people even when they're acting unskillfully. Mm because they're acting out of suffering. Boy, that's a, that's a big state of holding one's own capacity to allow for the other to be with that awareness that, of that, say my words, injurious life of whatever, whatever, and uh, to hold that. And, and so thank you for uh, bringing that further self-capacity in. I know I'll just share very briefly that my journey uh, over the last couple of years and will continue is almost <laughs> arguably significantly self-directed mm -hmm. where I've had such a, a developmental family of origin where there was negativity about being, mm -hmm. to put it mildly. Sure. And, and to now, after decades, start to have the beginning of mm -hmm. the self Mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. so while inspired by the various quotes and such that you've shared tonight mm -hmm. i turn inward and say i love you mark and i'll stop there great yeah keep loving mark mm. Mark's good thank you you're welcome kevin g hello i'm kevin Hi, um kevin. so i moved and i was taking a walk today and i saw this beautiful cherry box tree and then I saw written on the ground I see a pink tree and then on the return from the walk I saw the chalk mark on the ground saying I saw a pink tree so I like that somebody said had some awareness so I'm always grateful grateful for what you do and that that's what keeps me coming back mm -hmm. I need a sense of humor I came here because the duca mm -hmm. it's been it's been relieved but it goes in and out sometimes Sometimes it's harder than others. And I posted this book that I got out of the Sebastopol Library. And Susan Salzberg, Salzberg, excuse me, writes like a paragraph. And the last sentence of the paragraph says, self-compassion offers, offers us a liberating path. We can follow right where we are. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Say it again, that last line. Sure. Self-compassion offer offers us a liberating path we can follow right where we are. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's just the kindness of being who we are and what we are and waking up right here instead of we have to get go somewhere else. Because this is it, right? At least wherever each of us is, right? And, and the last thing I want to say, I like the personal story that you told about being young and going into the bank. You know, I, I find myself... Like I'm on an iPad, not to say that doesn't do most things, but you know, I don't have a, a laptop anymore, a desktop. And sometimes I struggle and I'll call someone and I'm struggling because I don't do well with technology. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll say I'm not that good, yeah. but it really surprises me when people are so helpful yeah. and so kind yeah. and they, they're there, they're there. Yeah. And, I, and when I'm done, I'm like, wow, yeah. That was, you know, they really, they really tuned into me. I kind of expected like the establishment. We don't have the patience for you or et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. my real life experience is that they're there present for me. There's a lot of kind people, especially young people who are techno savvy. <laughs> and they can, they do technolo technology way better than me. And so I'll call some, and some people are not so generous. I have one one friend, young person, who's I, I've learned don't bother him. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear about my my computer problems. But but there are other people that I really you know I'll call on, and they're very helpful, and it's great because I'm not so great with technology. You know, I can turn the computer on and off and all that stuff. That's about it. So anyhow, okay. Who else? How about some women? Or how about somebody who's not gendered or whatever, whoever, whatever you are? Come on, go ahead. <laughs> That's why I raised my hand, the pressure. Right. Okay. <laughs> Are you raising your hand? Isla? Isla? Oh, it's Isla. I was waiting to, uh, to a friend. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I, am, I have a question forming. It's not fully formed yet. Okay. We'll take, we'll take um, unformed questions. Yeah. I I was reflecting on the um, the quote by I think Sharon Sal Salzberg where she said something about compassion and seeing the suffering of the world without fear. Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah, thinking about sometimes it, it's it's you know recognizing the suffering in others can be really a connecting feeling. Um, <laughs> And, and sometimes it can feel like a lot of sorrow. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering about that. <laughs> both, both are true. Yeah. And really both, it's very important to see part of the way the heart... I'm looking for the right word. It, it um... um the part of the way the heart stays alive and um, and full is with tears. Mm 
And it's part of the, the warm-heartedness or the wholeheartedness that comes. And it's not that we get past, it's not that we have to get beyond the tears, but we don't want to just be uh, limited by the tears. The tears are part of what lubricates the heart. That's the word I was looking at. Really, it lubricates the, the sense of being because then we don't have to hold on to the sorrow. That's one of the ways the sorrow starts to release. And so it's part of the, of the um, digestion that is, that is included with our compassion that happens. And yeah, and then there can, and there can still be objectivity even with the sorrow that is um, weeping, right? Yeah. So don't, and no judgment about the tears. That's the important thing. Right, that sometimes people think if they get emotionally upset, then they're not really liberated or they're not liberated enough or some crap that drives me crazy because that's not what it is, you know. You can be equanimous even when you're uh, weeping, right? There's an equanimity that includes the, the, the whole of humanity and the, the whole W-H-O-L-E is sitting right here. Right, you know the whole dharma is sitting right in front of your bike machine, right? <laughs> Which I've been looking at because I'm thinking, oh, should I get one of those? I can ride in the house, and but no, no, don't worry, that's just my mind. So, but yeah, is that helpful a little bit? About great, thank you. Who else? Ali, you had your hand up a minute ago. There you are. Okay. Go ahead. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for for this. I actually like stumbled upon this uh, sangha. It's just like a cherry tree providing shade for the stranger who's <laughs> here. Where, where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Not uh, that far. Yeah, we're not. We, we, we like Los Angeles a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad you have a big cherry tree. The shade is out here, yeah. even in the dark. But I was just wondering if you could just say a few uh, more words. I, like many other folks, I do have a huge inner critic, a super ego. How to work with that? That'll be helpful. Get rid of like, it. Get sorry? Rid of it. Get rid of Get it. Get rid of it. Throw it away. But that's... No, really. No, I don't really. There's a fierce kind of practice. That's a big question of how, Eugene. Yeah, thank yeah, you. And I'll say a few things, but really it's one thing is to start to recognize the judgment or the harshness or the attack that is happening when your superego is functioning. Because it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's usurping your aggressive energy and using it against you. And you want that energy. That energy is good energy, except you don't want it used against you. And so when I'm really having my own superego, I start yelling at it, mm. really. Like, get the fuck away from me. Because I want that energy to be used to cut the superego. And that's, that's, that's a whole practice art that I've done for many years. And I'll suggest a book for you to look at. Yeah. I think it's really good called Soul without shame. Yeah, 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 I have that. Yes, yes. I have to reread it again. Yes, I got reread that. Reread it and do it. 
you yeah. got to do that's the thing if people read it and then but there's really you've got to do the practices to really stop it. and then uh, you know and then there's another book that I haven't read it's from my friend Mark Coleman and making peace with your mind and so you might look at that it's a buddhist book about using loving kindness with the judging mind but mark studied in the diamond approach which is where soul without shame comes from so he 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 learned a lot from from that style of practice with the superego and and also the other thing that works really well with the superego besides um a um, yelling at it and 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 reclaiming one's aggressive energy is to use humor. Like just make fun of it. Like the superego says here, this is classic for all teachers. You give a talk like tonight, and then you come off and you think, oh shit, that was horrible, you know. And you're you're a, you're never going to be a good teacher, and. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll, I'll agree with it totally. Oh, you're right. I'm the worst teacher who ever lived. Now you should go bother some other teacher because I'll never be any good anyways. So you don't have to keep bothering me. I got your message. And so I'll, I'll, I'll undercut it with a kind of humor or a little bit of a cynical humor, right? And because that's got the energy of I'm not attaching to the belief of the superego, right? To the, yeah. So keep getting rid of it. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Who else? I'm going to go look for more hands. Uh, Nancy's getting ready to come on. No, she's not. <laughs> Yeah, I, here she goes. Hi, Nancy. Wait, let me well, switch. I'm Just, taking notes. <laughs> that's okay. You can take notes while you're asking your question or making your comment. Well, yeah, I, uh, no, I just appreciate the joyful talk tonight and the wonderful, you know, sea of compassion, searching for the Kerouac quote somewhere. Um, but I had a family call today you know our families they were far away from me and they're you know they're east coast and midwesterners and uh -huh. anyway, there's a lot of judgment there there's a lot of judgment uh, from them or from you um or both we're a judging family we're lots of us and we sort of we're trained to uh -huh. compete and criticize each other yeah it's a journey and there's still some of that and it just broke my heart there were sort of a couple of them literally snickering at my 90 year old mother who couldn't she couldn't put a picture up in the video in uh -huh. a way where you could see it and you know she's going blind I mean she's gorgeous yeah and it was just so it just felt so cruel to me but I yeah um so you know respond yeah. and I thought after when it was over I thought should I have said something like stop this is mean you know it's just mean uh, so so yeah I would be careful about telling people they're mean if they're not in a conversation with you about the meanness I would I would say something like um, uh, mom how can we help you 
And so they hear your kindness rather than they hear your reaction in terms of judgment. Right, because I just judge right back on them by... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know whatever whatever is happening for the, your family who's snickering, who knows what's happening? Are they young? Are they immature? Are they unsophisticated about what it means to be ninety? I'm like, if she's ninety and on a computer, I'm like, fantastic, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like great, and and you know she's not going to be around that much longer. That's true. So, you know, and so if you're showing your love and your care is another way to respond to change the family dynamic. If you don't buy into the family dynamic, then you're changing it. Right. That makes makes sense. Yeah. And who is this next to you? Oh, this is Santa. <laughs> who? Santa. She's a little Mexican. <laughs> Say her name again. Santa. Santa? Girl Saint in Spanish. Santa. Uh -huh. Like Santa, but. Santa, <laughs> got it. Okay, no, I just, it's good we're meeting at least some of your family because you're talking about the family and she's. Yeah, she's the, the one capable of total unconditional love. So. <laughs> we're all learning from the dogs, no doubt. Hey, Santa. Hey, boy or girl? She's a girl. Girl, hey. She likes when I meditate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have a dog who used to always sit in my lap when I meditated. And great. Well, great. Thanks for speaking up. Thank you. Okay. Okay, Fahad, you're the last one. Hi, Eugene. Thanks for the wonderful talk. I just wanted to um, ask about that quote which was, it had the word anxiety and perfection in it. And it resonated with me. Anxiety and perfection, really? Um, I don't even know which one. It was, it was a line from some book or something. I have it, Eugene. Do you want me to read it? <laughs> sure. Okay, yeah, it resonated with me too. So realization is to be with our own imperfection without, uh, you know, anxiety. Oh, yeah, that line. Oh, yeah, it's a Shin Shin Ming. Realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Mm. And have you ever read the Shin Shin Ming, uh, Fahad? No, I have not. Oh, my friend, I have a great gift for you. You've got to read the Shin Shin Ming. And, and um, I'm going to communicate with you privately about, uh, actually, where the hell, I'm wondering if I have it right here somewhere. I don't have it. It's a very little book, and I'm trying to remember the translator. And it's just beautiful book, uh, you know, uh, and it begins, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Mm. And then he retranslated it 25 years later and said, the great way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences. I love that quote too. It's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, feels right. 
So it's Xinming, and I'm just forgetting his name, but I'll find out. Maybe we can post it next week. Uh, I I'm, I won't be teaching next week because I'm teaching a retreat, and I believe Pam Weiss is going to teach, but it's not clear yet who's going to lead the class next week. It'll be on. We'll, we'll know in a day or so. So okay, we're going to end though now. So thank you everybody. I'm going to put you all on on a gallery again. Good to be with you all. Uh, please take good care and we'll do a little um, sharing of merit. Um, may the goodness and blessing of our time together, God in every direction, be for the benefit of all beings and all worlds. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from dukkha, from self-judgment, and from free from judging others. May all, may all beings awaken and be free. to see you take care thank you stay healthy thank you eugene thank you everyone thank you everyone take care take care thank you everyone bye everyone bye-bye good to see everyone good to thank hear you, you eugene Fahad. <laughs> bye thank you bye everyone Mark, are you here? No, he's gone. I just am looking at the chat. Somebody put some wrong information on the chat. Okay. Yeah, Howell was 1956. I think it was 1955, actually. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <Thanks. laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye, Marty. <laughs>